Well, good morning, GCC family, and anyone else who may be joining us this morning. I was reading an article this past week, and it was uh, talking about the sovereignty of the Lord, that he reigns. And um, John MacArthur was writing a little bit about that point of sovereignty and Christ reigning forever. And he said, I learned about that particular aspect uh, when I was a child and sang this song. Sing with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Stand up, brothers and sisters. He's got my brothers and my sisters. In his hands, he's got my brothers and my sisters. In his hands, he's got my brothers and my sisters. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. I like this one really, it's really good. He's got the little bitty babies. In his hands, he's got the little bitty babies. In his hands, he's got the little bitty babies. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. One more verse. Here we go. He's got you and me, brothers and sisters. In his hands, he's got you and me, brothers and sisters. In his hands, he's got you and me, brothers and sisters. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. All right. Give yourself a hand. You did a great job there. All right, what a wonderful thought for us this morning as we begin that the Lord is sovereign over all. You know, people are looking uh, horizontally and in, in lo- dealing with this COVID-19. They're looking around, hey, what's going to happen? You know, there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Yesterday, you should have received, GCC family, a text message about praying and fasting. You know, I was thinking about that and this week in terms of praying, that that's something we have the privilege to do every single day, whenever we want to. You can be at school, you can be at work, you can be playing, jogging, riding your bikes, whatever it is you do, and you and I have the privilege to be able to talk, talk to our sovereign God at any time. At any point. What a privilege that is. I wanted to make sure that we kind of understand this whole issue of prayer and fasting. And so I did a little bit of research yesterday because the person who had texted me, there was a person in the body who had texted me about uh, having prayer and fasting today. I thought it's a great idea. And I'd been reading up on that anyway. And I ran into this article about Christian fasting. And it's entitled, What Does the Bible Say? I want to read just a little bit from this article. It says, The Bible presents fasting as something that is good, profitable, and beneficial. The book of Acts records believers fasting before they made important decisions. Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. Fasting and prayer are often linked together. Too often the focus of fasting is on the lack of food. Instead, listen to this, the purpose of fasting should be to take your eyes off of the things of this world and to focus completely on God. Fasting is a way to demonstrate to God and to ourselves that we are serious about our relationship with Him. Fasting helps us gain a new perspective and renewed reliance upon God. 
Although fasting in Scripture is almost always a fasting from food, there are other ways to fast. Anything given up temporarily in order to focus all our attention on God can be considered a fast. The purpose of a biblical fast is not to lose weight, but rather to gain deeper fellowship with God. Anyone can fast, but some may not be able to fast from food, like, for example, diabetics. But every one of us, every one of us can temporarily give up something in order to draw closer to God. And that's the point of it. He goes on to say, by taking our eyes off of the things of this world, we can more successfully turn our attention to Christ. Fasting is not a way to get God to do what we want. This is very, very important to hear. Fasting is not a way to get God to do what we want. Fasting changes us, not God. Fasting is not a way to appear more spiritual than others. And he wraps the article up this way. Fasting is to be done in a spirit of humility and a joyful attitude. And by the way, fasting and prayer is something that you can do as the Lord leads you to do. It should not be something that someone forces on you. You guys need to pray about, hey, Lord, when would you want me to do this? We're not to parade it before men because it's not about us. It's about a greater dependence upon our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who rules and reigns forever, the one who has the whole world in his hands. Let's pray together this morning as we begin. Lord, you do have the whole world in your hands. There is nothing that goes on in our lives, nothing, that is not already passed through your hands. You are the sovereign God. There is no one like you. Lord, we are living in unusual times because we're used to being busy and going here and going there and being in front of people all the time. And now it's a little different. But that's okay. Because as the church, we know the end of the story. Everything's setting up for your return. Where our Lord and our Savior will come for his church. I love the words of Paul when he writes, The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to forever be with the Lord. It doesn't get better than that. So we may be separate from each other now, but Lord, we can say without a shadow of a doubt, when you come for your church, we're all going to be together forever with you, Lord, being at the center of our attention and our focus. And so I pray that that would not be something that's unusual for us but that the center of our attention each and every day would be on you. Lord, we're just trusting you through this time because your word tells us some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
And I pray for everyone that's joining us today. They can say, I'm trusting in the name of the Lord my God. There is no one like him. And so today, Lord, I pray that our worship is acceptable in your sight. In the precious name of Christ, I pray all of these things. Amen. Good morning. I just want to express to you today what a privilege and honor it is to be here and to be able to be with you out uh, on the internet or wherever you are and to be able to rejoice. We were watching that video a few minutes ago. It went through some psalms that tells us who God is and the strength of who God is and the fact that we can rejoice in that even through times like what we're going through right now. So um, I was reading in, the, in, in, in 1 John the other day, the greatest thing, the greatest thing that we can rejoice in is the fact that we have an eternity, uh, eternity with him. Uh, in 1 John 5, it talks about, it gives us real encouragement and uh, it gives us assurance. And that's what I was looking for, picking the music out for today for us to participate in. In 1 John 5, 11, it says, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And it's amazing, as he goes in through that chapter 5, he keeps talking about knowing, knowing, knowing. We can know. There's a word right that just jumps out. As I think it's in the following verse there. It talks about the confidence that we can have. So I was looking for something that would be uplifting and would give us assurance that everything is going to be okay. And, uh, and so today, as we sing together, I, uh, I want you to remember, I want you to sing along. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to me singing. Sing along with me. These are songs that you know and you know well. And hopefully it will bless your heart and will give you the assurance you need. Let's uh, begin with blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, lost in His, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. 
visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting. Looking above Filled with his goodness Lost in his love This is my story This is my song Praising my Savior All the day long This is my story This is my song my Savior all the day long, praising my Savior all the day long. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well. With my soul It is well, it is well With my soul Though Satan should buffet Though trials should come Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more 
praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, and Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. I was thinking of a song that um, we talk about worshiping together and how different this is, how we're worshiping. And the fact that we're doing it differently, but yet it seems like it seems like we're having s- uh, uh, such a, a a good time of worship. Maybe, maybe this is bringing the true worship, the true heart of worship, out in our lives, being put in a situation like this because this is different. And uh, I picked out a song, and I've told this story several times before. But there may be many of you out here that have never heard why this song was written. But uh, the, the person who wrote this song, Matt Redman, this was back in the late 90s. And uh, it was, they, they have a church over in England. They had a church over in England, and it was a, a vibrant church. Um, their worship was very, very vibrant in the sense that it, they had the, the, uh, the bands, and they had the, the praise and worship, and they had the lights, and they had the sound systems, and they had all those type of things. But, but Matt and his pastor got together and said, something really is missing we're worshiping, I mean, we're doing, doing these things, but something is missing. And, and, and what, what, what might that be? And so they decided that for a season that they would just turn the sound system off, turn the lights off, and not have the guitars or the piano or the keyboards, and that they would just worship the Lord just with their voices. And all the singing was a cappella. And they did that for a season. And the people learned what what true worship was all about. That the worship is not in the sound systems. And this worship was not in the keyboards and and, and the guitars and the drums and the waving of the hands and everything like that. That's all external. The, The true worship comes from inside. It's the heart of worship. That's what God looks at. So as you're sitting in your living room or your den or whatever and, and worshiping with us this morning, 
You may say that I don't sing because I can't sing. Well, let me tell you, in, the, in, in your den and in your living room, you can sing. Because, you know, you can go through the words, you can look at this, and you can worship. Because God is reading your heart. He's not listening to your voice. And uh, that's the reason why I wanted you to make sure that you are singing along with these songs that we're singing this morning and not listening to me, but sing the songs of assurance, assurance of our eternity, assurance that God is in control. And so this is a song, The Heart of Worship, and I want you to sing along with me, if you would, please. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you All about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you All about you, Jesus King of endless worth No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required you search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you All about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. All about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. All about you, Jesus. Thank you, Ron. Again, it's great to be with you this morning and to be able to worship together. Um, let me get this out of the way just in case I run over it. I don't. I like to move around, and so I don't want to trip over 
the stool with my water on it. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and we're in the first chapter. As we begin to go verse by verse and look at what the Lord says to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. I've entitled this morning's message, The Extraordinary Greeting. Typically, when you read Pauline literature, um, Paul will acknowledge himself, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the church, and pick a church, to the church at Philippi, and then he might even acknowledge another person that's with him at the time, and then he will say something like, grace, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's somewhat of a typical greeting that Paul has, but this one we look at this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it's an extraordinary greeting. It's kind of unusual. It's worth investigating. I don't know how people skip over Scripture. I can't do that. God did not make me that way. So even when I get to uh, reading through the genealogies, I'm intrigued by what's being said. I mean, I look at it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So if it's profitable, then I need to investigate it. What does it say? So this morning we're going to look at what I've entitled an extraordinary greeting or the extraordinary greeting by the Apostle Paul. You know, there's different greetings around the world. Uh, I read this past week some different articles on how people greet one another, and I thought I'd share a couple of them with you. In New Zealand, they greet people by the touching of noses and foreheads. Wow, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You know, good morning, and you're touching the forehead and touching the nose. That won't work today. And I'm not suggesting that we would adopt that here in the United States, but that's how they greet one another in New Zealand. It's interesting, in the Philippines, the young people greet the elderly, I really like this, by holding the elder's right hand, leaning forward, and making sure that the knuckles of the elder press against the greeter's forehead, which is an honoring gesture, not only done as a sign of respect, but a way of requesting a blessing from the elder. Wow, we sure could use some help with that today, couldn't we? In the United States of America, respecting our elders, that's what they do in the Philippines. That's how they greet one another. Um, I read that the Chinese, because they like to eat a lot, um, one of the things they'll do in greeting you when you come to, to, to uh, someone's house for dinner They might say, how are you digesting that? That's kind of weird. But there's a lot of different greetings throughout the world. Um, And there are different greetings when one writes a letter. Um, Paul has a unique greeting here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to focus on that uh, this morning uh, as we look at what Paul writes to his young protege. Now remember in the context of 2 Timothy... Paul is writing for Mamertine prison. He is not comfortable at all. And yet he is so committed to what God wants. Even though he knows the time of his departure is at hand, he's all in. He's about to have his head chopped off, and he's still all in. And he understands the gravity of the situation. And he's got a young man that he's invested in. 
And he wants to make sure that this young man understands the importance of continuing in the faith and passing along his faith to others. So this greeting, interestingly enough, is not only, listen, it's self-medication for Paul, as you're going to see, but it's also medication for Timothy as he faced and would face the suffering that went with following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, look what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now, the way that last phrase reads in the original is this. According to the promise of the life in Christ Jesus. Now, that's significant. Because the life refers to the life that we have in Christ once we come to know him. And that life is not only an abundant life, but it's eternal life. And you're going to see how awesome that is as we look at other passages of Scripture, as we kind of come to understand the way Paul introduces this letter to Timothy. Um, Let me see here. Let's look, first of all, at the position of Paul, his position. Notice what it says, verse 1. He identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a simple definition for the word apostle that I think we kind of need to understand. It goes like this. Um, It means one who is sent forth. One who is sent forth. It refers to one that is assigned or called to represent another. Um, A word we might think of today would be the word ambassador. An ambassador, by definition, is a person who is sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So like, for example, Jim Franklin. He is going to be the ambassador to Thailand. He's going to represent the United States. Imagine if that was to happen. He would have to learn to love street chicken. Because when we were in Thailand, he wanted nothing to do with that. In fact, I don't think Jim likes chicken at all. But an ambassador is sent forth, he's sent out by his country to represent the country he's sent from. Right? He's sent to another country to represent the country that he comes from. Well, the Apostle Paul has been sent out by the Lord. You say, where do you find that? Well, interestingly enough, we find the beginning of that in Acts chapter 9. I want you to go back with me real quickly. Acts chapter 9. I want you to see the calling of Saul and what the Lord would do with him. Listen to these words. After his conversion, verse 10 of Acts chapter 9 says this. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now look what Ananias says. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. Not sure how fired up Ananias is to go to Saul. But look at verse 15 with me. I think I've got this actually on PowerPoint. Verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go. You know, it's interesting. I, I was looking at that, just that word go this week. And if you think about Abram, the Lord said for him to do what? Go. You think about what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. It says what? Go. <laughs> the Lord has simple instructions for us. Go. He had simple instructions for Ananias. He says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Look at this. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And would he represent the Lord? Wow, yeah. And would he do it well? Yeah, he did it well. Did he do it perfectly? No, but he did it well. And as he states later in this letter, he writes to Timothy, he finished the course. Do you realize that all of us that are in Christ represent him? We do. Think about this. Right now, you're sitting in your homes. You represent the Lord. If you're in Christ today, you represent the Lord in your home. To your children, to your grandchildren, you represent the Lord. When we leave our homes, which we're not doing a whole lot of that right now, but when we get the chance to leave our homes, you know what happens? Immediately, we're representing the Lord. Now, let me give you some great news. You ready? Great news. For such a time as this. This is great news. We are his ambassadors on Facebook. How does that sound to you? We're his ambassadors on Facebook. We represent him on Facebook. So this means for us, I want you to listen to this. This means everything we post requires some forethought and prayer. Why? Because we're representing him. Think about the number of people in your sphere of influence that know you're a Christian. I wonder how many times this has happened to all of us where we have a circle of people that we influence in one way or another and they know we've said, hey, I'm a Christian but then they read something that we post or listen to something that we say and they go, huh? We represent the Lord on Facebook. We represent the Lord on Twitter and Instagram. I don't use either one of those. I don't even know how to get started using one of those. I think years ago I tried to get on Twitter, I, I was like, okay, this is way too much effort, and I don't know what I'm doing. But I do know this, that a lot of people in our world today do Facebook, do Instagram, do Twitter, and you know what? Every single time we send out pictures or messages, 
we need to have the mind, I think this is accurate, we need to have the mind that we're representing Christ. Earlier, me and Ron and the guys in the back were praying before we started this morning. And one of them made a comment about the fact they had heard this man speaking. And, and it's kind of this selfie generation mentality. You know, look at me, look at me, look at me. There's this horizontal mentality. And the mentality needs to be looking up, looking to Christ. And so it's interesting to me that right from the get-go, the Lord identified this man saw as one who would represent him in front of Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. All of us have different spheres of influence. Listen to me. We need to be very, very careful. And I'll say for myself first, and then I'll speak about you. Very careful how we represent the Lord. Especially in times like this where everybody's listening a little bit closer. So Paul is identified here. He identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, He then moves. Notice it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I've entitled this section, His Proof. Proof he was called as an apostle. I think Wayne Barber makes a very, very important point here about this particular phrase. He says, the significance of Paul's testimony regarding the will of God, now listen to this, is that it counters any charge that he promoted himself to the office of apostle, which was a unique office. Only few had that title. Only few had seen the resurrected Christ. So Wayne Barber says, look, he didn't self-promote. In fact, the scriptures speak to it in an excellent way. More than what I have here for you. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So we get it, right? It's by the will of God that he was in that position. One of my favorites is found in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. This is one of my favorites. (laughs) I like this. It just eliminates man. Paul, an apostle, look at this. Not sent from men, nor through the agency of man... But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was an apostle because Jesus Christ put him there. It was his will. It was the will of God that Paul be an apostle, a messenger, an ambassador for Christ. It was the will of God. You know, that's kind of a a subject that gets discussed a lot, right? The will of God. You know, what is the will of God? I mean, we see here for, for Paul's life, the will of God was that he would be an apostle. You know, you're like, well, what's the will of God for my life? I think there's kind of um, some simple categories for us to understand there. 
First of all, the will of God for the believer is to what? Honor him in everything that we do. The will of God for us is that we would praise him and that we would worship him. The will of God for our lives is that we would walk lives that are separated to him. Like Peter puts it, right? That we would be holy, that we would be separate. And people say, well, yeah, but what does God specifically want me to do? I mean, he called Paul to be an apostle. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to be his ambassador. You can raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I acknowledge you want me to do that. How do we know that? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go what? Go therefore make disciples. That's what he tells us to do. It's no different. How many of us are going to accept that challenge? See, the will of God, people make that a complex subject because they want to know, does God want me to be a plumber or an electrician or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever? You know what I believe? I believe the will of God is clearly outlined for us in the Bible. We don't have to go and get a shovel and dig and try to find it. It's here. It's here. You might be an electrician. Great. Be an electrician. And as you're an electrician, you're an ambassador. Right? You're an ambassador. You represent Christ. The giftedness is what we really need to focus on in the church. How has the Lord gifted you? Right? Because we all need to benefit from each other's giftedness. You have people in the body here that are encouragers, that are teachers, that are servants. By the way, there's more than one pastor teacher in this flock. There just is. God has given gifts that we might glorify him. So as we kind of think through that big subject of the will of God, we know here in this context that Paul was called as an apostle by the will of God. I love the fact that all of us get to represent him. It is, listen, it's awesome, but wow, isn't it like, whoa. It kind of makes us tremble. Think about it. (laughs) I don't know if I think too hard about it. How have I represented the Lord in my life? There's times that has not gone well. I remember one time I was playing basketball at the old Alliance Church on Highway 31. And it was a Christian school. And in the summer times we had basketball leagues and I loved to play basketball. In fact, this particular league, you know who else played in that league? Bobby Humphrey. I watched him dunk over my head. It was really awesome. They could get up. I didn't quite have the ups then that I do now, right? And so I just couldn't do that. But I remember being on that court and doing something that was dishonoring to the Lord. This guy was yelling at me about something. He was on my team. And I just turned around and I looked at him and said something that was not God-honoring. To think about... That all of us 
represent the Lord all the time is a pretty big subject. Well, we see the proof. Now we look at the purpose. What was the purpose of his apostleship? It's stated for us right here. According to the promise of the life in Christ Jesus. His purpose was to declare that eternal life is possible only through Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting if you read John's gospel, the word life there is the word zoe. It occurs 36 times in the gospel of John. Many times it's linked to belief. And you know what? When we think about life itself... And then we think about eternal life. Life itself is linked to Christ. Eternal life is linked to Christ. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24, look what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Man, that's pretty good. That's the Lord himself saying that. And does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. You could spend the afternoon just researching that, right? You, you don't have anything else to do. You're just trying to work on projects around your house. You've made a list of about 20 things to do. Put on that list, hey, let me investigate what the gospel of John says about life in Christ Jesus. I think you'll find it, find it very rewarding. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the life. He who believes in me, let's look at this, will live even if he dies. Man, oh. And we know the context of John 11, the death of Lazarus. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, look at this, will never die. Man, I like that a lot. How about you? Because when I close my eyes in death here, immediately I'm ushered into the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Man, who's got that kind of insurance plan? The Lord does. The Lord does. Eternal life may best be defined in John 17, 3. In the context of the high priestly prayer, which I, I call, it's the, this is the Lord's Prayer. Listen to verse, uh, this verse. This is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus says, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, eternal life lies in the eternal relationship one can have with God through Jesus Christ alone. And that's why Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but what? Through me. This is eternal life, by the way. And this is important to, to remember. Okay, get you another bite of your Pop-Tart or whatever it is you're eating. Listen to me. Eternal life for the believer does not begin when we close our eyes in death. Eternal life for the believer begins at the moment of salvation. I have a new life. I mean, it's like Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Man, listen, we've got the best plan, right? 
People go out and they're selling insurance all the time, right? And, hey, buy this, buy this, buy this. And we're like, hey, man, we need to be going out there telling people, listen, I got the best life insurance policy you could ever know about. Paul had such a refresh, refreshing view of life and death. Boy, I think the church today could learn from him in this. Because you know what I think happens? And it happens to all of us. Hopefully as we grow older in the Lord, more mature, we may see some growth in this area. But wow, how many people just live for this life? I mean, boy, if there's one thing this COVID-19 is going to teach us is that, right, it's not about all this stuff on earth. It's not about that. People are losing their jobs, right? And, and that, that's worrisome to people. They're concerned. Their family members are losing their health, losing their lives. And you know what people are doing? They're scattering and looking around and going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what's so awesome, guys? Can I tell you this? We don't need to be looking like this. We need to be looking like this. See, Paul said it this way. For me to live is Christ. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if we could honestly say out of our mouth, for to me to live is Christ. It's all about him. And then some would admit Paul to a psych ward after he said these next words, and to die is gain. What? But death is gain, is it not? Then how come the church today, some in the church today, treat death like, oh no, yes, death is difficult. There's no doubt about it. For those left behind, it's difficult because we miss those people who've shut their eyes in death. But if they have shut their eyes in death and know Christ, my friends, listen to me, they are much better off. (laughs) They're much better off. Paul went on to write this, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean retirement for me. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. You see, Paul believed in the promises of God. He did. He believed in the promises of God as it related to this life, this unique life that's offered only through Christ. Look what he says, Titus 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Look at this. In hope, and it's not like I hope it happens, but this is a confidence. In hope of eternal life. Which God, look at this. I I absolutely love this. Which God who cannot lie. He can't lie. And we're so familiar with lying, and we look at, at God and go, well, no, he can't lie. And look what Paul writes, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised. 
What do you believe about the promises of God? I believe they're all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Promised long ago. Then, it's interesting, Ron must have been reading my notes. Look at that, Ron. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Listen, Paul's message as an apostle was so unique, and so is our message, same message. You know what we are saying to people? You can have hope of eternal life. Now, everyone's going to live eternally. But the Bible tells us that the road is wide that leads to destruction. There are many on that road. Man, they're going to live eternally separated away from the Lord. And that there are few that are on the narrow road. Just a few. Those people who do not know the Lord have eternal life. But my friends, listen to me. The eternal life that you and I have that are in Christ is so much different. Read about it. Revelation. No more tears. No more suffering. No more crying. None of that. And we need to get our arms around this. This is a side note. We need to get our arms around this. Heaven is not about us. It's about Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul believed in the promises of God. John believed in the promises of God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Maybe, and, and, and as we're reading this, maybe some of you struggle with this issue of security. Right? I mean, I've talked to numerous people over the years who struggle with the security of, of their salvation. Not only does Paul deal with that in Ephesians chapter 1, when he says the believer has been sealed by the Spirit of God. But look what John writes. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. It's already been given to you if you know him. And this life is in his Son. He says he who has the Son has, look at that, the life. And you know what we're doing right now? We're watching people out there in our world living life who don't have the life. John writes, he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You say, well, yeah, but that they're living. Yeah, they're living. But they're not living with hope like you and me. Lord, give us the urgency to share the gospel. That they need to know. Then he writes this. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. This is the purpose of 1 John. <laughs> if this is, by the way, that's free. This is the purpose. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? So that you might know or you'll maybe know. No, 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 no. He says so that you may know. That you have eternal life. Wow. Take a deep breath. You're going, wow. Wow, Lord. You have promised me eternal life. That was the message of the apostle. 
that eternal life was found only in the person of Jesus Christ. And remember I said how special that would have been in context? Oh my goodness gracious. I mean, you're looking at that first verse, you're going, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life in Christ Jesus. How special would that have been for Paul to write those words? To pen those words? Knowing, listen to this, knowing that he was on the precipice of death, he pens this verse. Wow. How awesome was that for him? In that setting, to be able to reflect on the promises of God as it relates to eternal life. And then, as he would write to Timothy, how special would it have been to remind Timothy that, hey, Timothy... Hey, hey, our life is a different life. When we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we were given eternal life. Timothy? And so, yeah, you're going to walk through this road of suffering. And guys, listen, right now, we're walking through this road of uncertain times, and there are people out there that are suffering. And you don't know and I don't know that God may not have that in store for us. But you know what we can do? On our deathbed, whenever that may come, we can give glory to God by saying, Lord, I know when I close my eyes, I'm going to be in your presence. Well, That's verse 1. Verse 1 is about the author. Verse 2 is about the recipient or the receiver. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved son. Now the word son there only appears in the New American Standard and the King James Version. Um, It does not appear in the original. In the original, it's the term technon, which is child. Child. So that's important as we... Read through this. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, the first thing we see here is that Paul identifies the person that he writes to. And as we know, it's Timothy. So I thought, I'm going to study the name Timothy, right? Because he mentions his name. The name Timothy means one who honors God. One who honors God. George Mueller, who was an evangelist in the 1800s, wrote this. I really like this quote. Through prayer and meditation on the word, look at this. Through prayer and meditation on the word, become willing to let God have all the glory if any good is accomplished by your service. (laughs) That kind of puts serving the Lord in context. If you desire honor for yourself, he writes... The Lord must put you aside as a vessel unfit for the master's use. One of the greatest qualifications, he goes on to write, for usefulness in the service of the Lord is a heart that truly desires to honor him. Kind of like that song that Ron sang at the end. It's not about the guitars or the piano or the organs or the drums or whatever. It's about the Lord. His name means to honor God. 
You know what we need to consider? We need to consider, I think daily, this issue of honoring God. There's some practical things to think about when it comes to honoring God. That means I need to think about what I say. Think about what I say. It means that I need to think about what I do. Not only are people watching, more importantly, the Lord's watching. I need to think about the places that I go. Remember, we said in the beginning we represent him everywhere we go. And I need to think about the things I support. Well, we go from his name to his father. Who was Timothy's father? Well, if you go back to Acts 16, you know, he had a Gentile father. We'll get into more of that maybe next week. But who was his spiritual father? It was Paul. Notice Paul calls him, my beloved child. Now the relationship with Paul and Timothy was very special. Very special. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul refers to him as my true child in the faith. And you know why he did that? Because as a father, as a spiritual father, you know what he did? He invested in his child. Now, this is for fathers. We need more fathers, spiritual fathers, to invest in their children. Are you hearing me? How does that look? It means you have to be involved in their life. It means that word, the word of God, needs to be the centerpiece. They need to see you depending on the Lord in times like these. They don't need to hear fear. They need to see trust. Paul invested in his child, Timothy. He calls him the true child. Means a genuine or sincere believer. That's what he was saying. This is my true child, and he invested in him, and he did it well, and it's amazing what the Bible records about this man, Timothy. Take your Bibles and go with me back to the book of Philippians, back to the book of Philippians. Look, the great part, one of the benefits about you being at home and being able to watch is if you want a snack, you can go get it. And when you get back, I'll still be in your living room or kitchen, wherever you are. Philippians chapter 2 unveils for us this special man, this true child in the faith. This letter was written anywhere from three to five years earlier than the letter of 2 Timothy. So this is what Paul says about Timothy in Philippians, about three to five years earlier. Notice chapter 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, as he's writing to this church, to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. 
for I have no one else. Man, this is a big deal here. This is a big deal. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For they all seek after their own interests. Uh-oh. Does that happen in the church? Apparently so. Paul says it here. All the rest of them are seeking out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Listen to me. That's why I'm encouraging us in this time. Listen to me. It is so tempting to be looking this way. We need to be looking this way. Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. There's three different terms here that I wanted to just give to you briefly, kind of define them for you. The first one, notice that Paul identifies him as one having a kindred spirit. The word emphasizes being like-minded. Right? You think about this. If you just took a simple example of football. Right? You're looking for people that are like-minded with you if you're an Alabama fan, right? You're searching them out. Who are they, right? Like, they're like-minded, right? And then you have the Auburn fans, and they're searching out other Auburn fans and the UAB fan that we have, Robbie. He's looking for anybody that would join that club, right? And then you have the Arkansas fan. I'm trying to recruit. Maybe it'll be you. You never know, right? So, Paul, in this passage has one, he says, that's like-minded. He uses the phrase kindred spirit. He's got one that's like-minded. And In fact, I think what Paul's saying here is he he's not saying, hey, look, there's just one other believer. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I only got one guy that's all in like me. And his name is Timothy. In secular Greek, the word was used to convey the idea of having a great, great deal in common with another. Paul is expressing to the church there that no one is going to care like Timothy. I mean, he says it here. The others are looking out for their own interest. So he identifies Timothy as being of kindred spirit, being like-minded. You think about those people in the ministry that you're like-minded with, right? How many are there, right, that you're really like-minded with where there's wide agreement about things? <laughs> That's harder than you might think. There was a ministry in New York that we had called One Way Club, and it was for children. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, there was a one guy that I was kind of looking at to lead that when it first came out. It was a ministry for children, and I needed somebody to lead that. And I can say there was a guy in the church, and we were so like-minded. And that was the first thing that kind of drew me to him. I knew he was all in. And I remember going to him and saying, hey, listen, Rod, I want you to lead one-way club. He said, man, I can't do that. 
Now, he wasn't talking about the fact that, you know, the Lord might not equip him to do it. He just like, no, I don't think I'm the guy. I said, you are the guy. You know how I know you're the guy? We're like-minded. At the forefront of your thinking is the gospel. You want these kids to know Christ. And that's at the forefront of my thinking, Rod. And you want these kids to grow in relationship with the Lord. And that's in my thinking, Rod. I mean, we just over and over again kept agreeing. You know what he said to me? Over a piece of pizza and a cup of coffee? That's what he... That's what he I could never understand pizza and coffee together. But he said one day as we're eating a slice of pizza... And he's drinking his coffee, and I'm not drinking coffee. I'm drinking a soda. I think that's what they called it up there. And, 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 and he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I knew he was the guy because we were like-minded. You say, oh, yeah, that's easy to find in the church. It's probably harder than we might think. It obviously was difficult for Paul. So he says, in talking about Timothy... There's a kindred spirit there. Then, I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this. He says, they thought alike. Their viewpoints, while not always in line with one another, were closer than that of others. Swindoll goes on to write, being alongside each other, neither had to work, neither had to work hard at the relationship. That was me and Rod. We didn't have to work hard. He said, hey, let's meet for a slice, meaning a slice of pizza. And I was there. I enjoyed being alongside of him and working alongside of him. That's what Swindoll's saying. They enjoyed being alongside each other. Neither had to work at the relationship. Things just flowed effortlessly between them. So there was this kindred spirit between Paul and Timothy. Um, Then, notice he uses the word genuinely. That's That's an important word here in the text. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. The word describes one who is sincere or has a genuine sense of responsibility. Timothy had this great sense of responsibility that he belonged to the Lord and he needed to do what honored the Lord, which went right along with his name. He was a sincere servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's a good question for us to consider this week. Ready? Am I genuinely a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not do I work. Not do I labor. But kind of like that song Ron was talking about. When it's all stripped away, am I a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? A genuine, sincere servant of the Lord. There's a third phrase that he uses here. Proven worth when he talks about Timothy. Look at verse 22. But you know of his proven worth. (laughs) In other words, he's been tested. He's been tested and approved. Hey, in the ministry, in the life of ministry, there are tests. There are trials. How are you going to get through those? I remember there was one testing and trial time that I went through. When I first got to New York State, I was there about a year or so. And there was this big trial, big testing that came. 
and my senior pastor said, Thad, this is going to make you or break you. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Do you know what? I didn't go, hey, I can do it. Because in our own strength, we can't do it. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that I'm dealing with, and I can't do it. This obstacle is a whole lot bigger than I am. I need you to take me through this test. Just like COVID-19 is a whole lot bigger than we are. Who do we need to take us through this test? The Lord. The Lord. So proven worth refers to those who've been tested and approved. The word was used of metals that were tested by fire in order to prove they were genuine. <laughs> so at the end of the day, Paul's saying about Timothy, hey man, he's genuine. He's been tested and it's proven that he's genuine. I have a special note here for you. The word in the original language describes one who has been tested and perseveres. Hey, listen, there's going to be all kinds of trials and testings in our life. All kinds. You know, how are we going to come through that? I mean, I went th through something in December that I wasn't checking off on the calendar like, oh, I can't wait to have my heart surgery. I mean, I didn't expect it. And I don't know, honestly, in evaluating how I've done through the whole thing, I would say it's just me and the Lord. I'd be like, some stuff I've done pretty well and some stuff I haven't done well. But at the end of the day, I can tell you this. God lined up the exact doctors that I needed. See, the Lord's going to take us through this time right now. And it's going to say a lot about us. Man, listen to me. The church right now, the microscope is on the church. How's the church going to respond? Well, when the microscope was on Timothy... He was proven. He came through the other side. <laughs> and Paul, listen, Paul is writing with a sense of urgency to this guy. Remember, in the context, he's on the precipice of death, and he's like, Timothy, I got to have you. And as we're going to see next week, I mean, he just tells him what to do. But ultimately, that instruction is from the Lord. Well, so that tells us a little bit more about this man that Paul writes to. Pretty special guy. Close to each other, loved each other. Man, how hard must it have been? I mean, remember last week we talked about, he really wanted to see him. You have people like that in your life that encourage you by just their presence, right? They walk in the room, and you're like, oh. All right, last point this morning his greeting. Notice what he says, grace to you and peace, excuse me, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Usually it's just grace and peace. You know what that makes this an extraordinary greeting? Mercy. It only occurs in one other letter. And interesting, you know what that letter is? First Timothy. I found that, I was like, wow, okay, that's, that, that's wow. It's not just grace and peace. 
but it's grace, mercy, and peace. Real quickly, because you're about to dig into whatever you've got for lunch, right? The word grace is the Lord's unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. We don't deserve heaven, do we? But if we're in Christ, we're going to get it. J.I. Packer says in the New Testament, grace means this. I like what he says. Grace means God's love in action toward men who merited the opposite of love. Listen to me. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve eternal life. But it's been granted to me. All of us deserve to be away from the presence of the Lord forever. That's what's so amazing. That's why we sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I what? I see. So he says grace. And then we're going to deal with peace and end with mercy because it's kind of unique to First and Second Timothy. The word peace literally means the joining together... The joining together that which at one time was separated. Did you know at one time you were separated from God? And Paul in his, his dissertation in Romans as he talks about man's condition in first three chapters. And then he transitions to talking about how man is justified and it's by faith alone and Christ alone, right? And then he gets into that sanctification. How am I living the Christian life now that I belong to him? In Romans chapter 5, look what it says. Therefore, having been justified by what? By faith. That's a legal term, the word justified. It means to be declared righteous. My friends, listen to me. We need to understand this. We are only righteous because we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that when God sees us, he sees his son. Because there's nothing in me that's good. And there's nothing in you that's good. So we can but come back down to earth and say, you know what? We have peace with God. Notice what Paul says. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way for man to have peace. Eternal peace. Except through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what people are looking for today in our world? Peace. The Lord provides that. Well, then he ends with mercy. We end with mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. He says, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The word mercy, by definition, is the loving kindness of God whereby he deals with man on the basis of compassion. All you'd have to do if you wanted to this afternoon, just kind of run your fingers through the Old Testament while wow, he dealt mercifully with Israel, didn't he? And he deals mercifully with his church. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is, not, is getting what you do not deserve. Woodrow Kroll said, justice is for those who deserve it. Mercy is for those who don't. I'll end this morning with a story about Napoleon. A mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. 
The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, Napoleon said, I will have mercy. And he spared her son. Guys, when you think about this introduction, there's a lot of meat in there to chew on. A lot of meat for Paul to chew on and thinking about the promise of eternal life. And Timothy, thinking about the promise of eternal life. And Timothy, thinking about the mercy of the Lord. I want you to bow your head with me as we pray. And I want us to be in unity about praying for the mercy of God. Praying for his mercy. Now I've heard the statement over and over again. We will heal our land. <laughs> we can't heal our land. <laughs> I got news for everybody. We can't do that. But you know who can heal our land? The Lord. And he can do it one at a time. As people are introduced to the gospel of grace. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we plead for your mercy. We don't deserve your mercy. I really believe one of the things that's happening is you're stripping away all the, all the false gods that men worship. You're stripping away the idols. Everything that man focuses his attention on, you're just stripping it away. And you're saying, hey, look, it's not about this. It's about me. That's hard for us, Lord, to kind of wrap our minds around at times. We, we can understand it, but, but really to the point of like practicing that, we need your help in that. Lord, I want to thank you for the assignment that you gave to Paul. And I want to thank you that he finished well. Lord, we can look to this man that you set apart and you used as your apostle to Gentiles, to kings, to the sons of Israel. You used him in mighty ways. Lord, you can use us in mighty ways as ambassadors that would represent you well. Lord, I want to thank you for Timothy, a young man who was mentored who Paul came alongside and invested in. And we can see the fruits of his labor as it's written in Philippians. And we sense the urgency with which Paul writes here. Lord, I pray there would be a sense of urgency for us 
that we would take on the responsibilities that you've given us to honor you in all that we say and all that we do. Lord, we close by thanking you for grace, your undeserved favor. We don't deserve it, but we get it, and we're thankful. For the peace that you give to us, the peace that passes all understanding, Lord. And we thank you for mercy. I deserve to be separated from you, but by your grace, because of salvation, I'm forever going to be in your presence. And I want to thank you for that personally. And I pray as we go through our week, that we would think about the things that you have shown us from your word here today and how important those things would have been as Paul penned those words to remind himself and remind Timothy that, wow, they served a God full of promises who would never leave them or forsake them. Thank you for our time this morning. We pray all this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Let's end today with singing about the greatness of our Lord. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe display then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou How great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art And when I think That God His Son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on that cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. When Christ shall come, 
with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great great thou art. Um, I wanted to just make a brief announcement uh, to GCC family. Uh, we will be sending out a letter again this week, kind of informing you about the weeks to come, and uh, we'll let you know what our, our plan is. Obviously, there are quite a few restrictions right now, but we can continue to meet, and I'm encouraged that we can do so, that we can continue to have this live feed, and for all of us to be able to to worship together. I trust that your families are doing that. And I trust that you're keeping in touch with one another. That you're doing that through call and text and, and FaceTime. And Lord's given us so many opportunities to even now be able to, to minister to one another. And so I encourage you to do that this week. It's been great to be with you this morning. It just turned to afternoon. It's 12.01. That's one of the great things. See, you're not rubbing your belly and saying, I'm hungry, or hey, Dad, stop. I'm not getting the cutoff sign from my wife. She's not here. So we can just keep going. I could say, hey, turn your Bibles to Second Timothy. Let's just go to the next section. And you wouldn't care because you're at home. Ron and the guys might care. So uh, we're going to close our time with prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Lord, we do want to thank you. We pause and we think about... Uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Chapter 1, one long sentence in 3 through 14. So many blessings that we have in knowing you. Lord, one of the hardest things to do during times of uncertainty and trial is to really focus on the certainty stuff. Help us to do that. Help us to focus on the many blessings that we have and knowing you, and it's in the name of Christ I pray, amen. You are dismissed.